Welcome to another edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com. Joined by Paul Dottino, I am John Schmelk. It's all presented by Coors Light. Mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Um, back to the shorter live read. I like that. I don't have like a whole paragraph to read, Paul. That's a good thing. <laughs> um, back from Indy. You've heard from Paul the last couple of days. Um, I'm happy to be back on the show. Uh, if you want my full take on the Combine, and we'll talk about that still today. We're still wrapping things up a little bit. Uh, you can go to Giants.com, part one and part two. It was like almost 4,000 words worth of Combine takeaways. Offense, defense, make sure you go check that out. I tweeted those out yesterday as well, as long as a bunch of Combine interviews Paul and I did in Indy. So if you missed some of the stuff from last week, all the content's up there. If you want to see the full shows, go to Giants.com slash podcast. Click on Big Blue Kickoff. The videos of the shows are up there as well. If you click on the video tab and go to Big Blue Kickoff. So it was, it was a great week of content. We really hope you enjoyed it. I know we enjoyed uh, bringing it to you. It was a lot of fun. And uh, we thank you for being part of the show. Uh, we just got back some of the numbers, and we did really, really well um, in terms of people watching and views and stuff like that. So we appreciate you guys being part of the program. Uh, thank you very much for that. Today we'll be joined by Kent Lee Platt. Uh, you'll find them on Twitter at MathBomb. He's the creator of the RAS Metrics, which uh, in short, and I'll explain it now so I don't have to do it when he's on, on the show, basically what the metric does is that it takes all the combine times and measurements for each player, compares them historically to other players at the position, and then figures out more or less where they rank. So it's a scale of 1 to 10. And he will rank players in terms of their measurements and how they perform based on um, historical precedence at that position. So, um, Paul, it is always good to have Ken on. This is the third or fourth year we're going to have him on. And it's a good breakdown exactly what all these numbers that we are inundated with um, meant over the weekend. Yeah, well, you know, as science has become more and more involved in what's going on at the Combine, uh, it's it's certainly an interesting facet to look at. I think the addition of 16 different combine events this year, including a number of replacement events for some that they threw out, uh, will be an interesting question that I want to ask him. Well, remember, they, he, he doesn't do the drills. There's no timing on those. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing for him to break down with the numbers. I thought that some of his measurements were actually off of the drills. Well, there's nothing to measure. Not. There's nothing to measure off the drills. They don't publish any numbers. Okay. Right? Or am I wrong about well, that? The, the numbers the numbers are had. It's just not we don't have them. But they're, they're out there. People in the league have them. We don't have them. Well, I mean, it depends. Like, 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 what are you measuring on the gauntlet drill? You know what I mean? I mean, they do all the measurements on the timed events and the jumps and things like that. But I don't think they do it on, you know, some of the, like the running back drills and the pass rush drills and well, the loop I thought drill that's and stuff some like of what that. he did, but I guess he doesn't. Well, yeah, it's because they don't publish the numbers. They don't get published, but they may be had by somebody. Well, there yeah, may be some but, teams who have those numbers, <laughs> right? But they aren't readily available Not for to people us. on the outside. No. Right? Okay. You ready to go? Let's go. I didn't mean to burst your bubble there, Paul. I'm no, sorry. no. I, well, I I was curious because with these different events, and we talked to different people at the combine about these events. I was curious to see how it altered his take or his analysis and how he was going to do things. But now you're telling me that's not a legit well, question. Well, why don't you ask him? We'll find out. Okay. Okay. And then well, I think the timing of the stuff, too, might be something that affected some of the performances. But now we're joined by Kent Lee Platt at MathBomb on Twitter, creator of the RES metric system. He joins us now on Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com. Kent, good to talk to you again, my friend. How are you? Great, man. Thanks for having me. Hey, always good to have you on, my friend. Let's start here. Um... 
the events moved to nighttime this year, and and just from looking at it from the outside perspective, looking in, you've done this a lot more in detail than I have. I thought the performances of a lot of these athletes were down a little bit for one, and I also thought that fewer guys did all the events, specifically the agility drills, the three cone, and the short shuttle. Is my impression correct? About the agility drills, I think it is. I think that had to do in part with it being later in the day. You still had some guys that did pretty good at it. Uh, Derek Tuska out of North Dakota State was one of the pass rushers, ran a sub-7-3 cone. You had a couple guys that ran a 7-flat. Uh, but it seemed like there were a lot of guys that just skipped the drills to the point where when I was entering the data, I had to keep refreshing. Because, like I, They can't have only had like five guys do these drills. That seems <laughs> off. Um, but it, it, it really was. A lot of guys skipped them. I, I'm wondering how much of that was just it being later in the day. you got to remember, these guys are up really early getting all their other stuff done, doing interviews and meeting with people and preparing. You know, And then this is super late in the day when it's the last event that a lot of these guys do. Um, so it's, it's something to keep, keep, keep an eye on, and something I'm going I'm to look into. I've been asked about it quite a bit over the last couple of days. Well, let me ask you this, Kent. Uh, John and I were just talking before we brought you on. Is there any relevance at all to the, how some of these events were changed to your metrics, or, or did that not matter in, in any way, shape, or form? Mine are, are tracked historically, so everything that I do is compared historically to draft classes and, and uh, combine and pro day metrics all the way back to 1987. So I can't really change that because I don't know what changes were made specifically to the drills. So okay. I, I feel like that's something that would just have to be handled with context. I know that they added some new drills um, that were timed specifically for the defensive linemen, the hoop drills and some other stuff, but those mm-hmm. times weren't released, so I can't really do anything with them yet. Okay, fair enough. All right, Ken, did you, did you feel that? Some of the numbers generally across the class were a little bit depressed. Is, is that accurate, do you think, or no? Maybe for the agility drills, like I mentioned, those were later in the day. We actually had a pretty strong class for, for a lot of these positions. Um, but I think that like tight end was down, um, interior defensive line was down with the numbers. It could just be the strength of the class. Let me ask you this, Kent. It seemed to me, going into the combine, I thought, okay, I'm hearing that there's a couple of positions that could be really exciting, really enticing. But then as we got through day-to-day, through the Combine, there were a lot more pleasant faces and a lot more uh, exciting comments. And now all of a sudden, as I come home from the Combine, it seems as though this draft excited a lot more people about a lot more of the positions than I anticipated. Would that be a fair statement? Oh, yeah. This is a pretty exciting class. Uh, you, whenever we have the comment, there's always all these different narratives, different storylines that, that people talk about. You know, is such and such a player going to run a good 40? He looks like he might not have enough speed on tape. If this guy's a smaller guy, is he going to be explosive enough to work at the next level? We get a lot of those storylines, and it's usually pretty even for how many of those go good and how many of those go poorly. But this year in particular, it seemed like a majority of those went positively for the players. We generally got good medical information from the players that needed it. The players that had athleticism concerns generally overperformed expectations. The guys that were expected to perform well, even those guys performed out out of the gym. Isaiah Simmons, the linebacker from Clemson, you know, he set the highest athleticism score at like five different positions. So even the guys that were expected to do well did better than expected. So did did Isaiah Simmons almost break your calculator? When I'm serious, like you, 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 yeah, because you know you have to kind of put him in a bunch of different spots. So how did you handle that, and how did he compare to safeties, linebackers, slot corners? For goodness sakes. 
Yeah, he was fantastic. Thankfully, Byron Jones already broke my system a few years back, so I had to to reach it to change things to make it so that it couldn't be broken. Um, ultimately, if he were to perform, if he were to run like a three-second 40 or some unrealistic number, it still wouldn't break the system. He would just have the best score. Um, but he did that at uh, linebacker, I think both safety spots, cornerback, and I forget what the fifth one. There's five different positions that he had the highest score ever at. So he did, he did I think, <laughs> being one of the best athletes in the draft. I'm looking at his uh, profile right now on your website in the linebacker section, and explosion grade elite, speed grade elite, size grade height uh, is also in the green. I guess that's also. But now there's one yellow thing that says weight at 238, and it says good. Was that the only, uh, can I say, blemish that was not elite about him? Is that, oh, my goodness, sorry, he's only 238. <laughs> you know, it, you you could probably find people that would say that, but here's the thing. Isaiah Simmons played at Clemson at, at 220 pounds. He was measured at 230 pounds to start two, 2019. That's pretty small for a linebacker. But coming to the draft at 238, you know, with people that had concerns about whether or not he was going to be big enough to play in the NFL, and he had played at a much lower weight in, in college and, and earlier, Coming in at 238 is fantastic for him. It's still an above-average weight grade. That's right about what you want for most schemes in the NFL is about 240, and he came in at 238. That's perfectly fine. So even though that's his lowest score there, that was an excellent thing for him to come in and get and, and put those concerns to bed. Yeah, I'm really glad about that because I project him primarily as a linebacker. I know John thinks more of a safety, and other people think that too. I think he's going to play primarily linebacker, so 238 made me happy. Oh, yeah, it's, it, was, it was a big win for him with that. And then after that, it was just elementary. Knowing what we knew about Isaiah Simmons, it was like, well, how great is he going to do? Yeah, exactly. Um, so for you then, his numbers project him more as a linebacker than a safety, Kent, fair to say? I think that you'll have more, more uh, success using him as a linebacker. How many, how many linebackers are that can move that fast? No, there are not, which is very true. <laughs> um, the uh, top of the offensive line class. You know, everyone talked about Tristan Wirfs, and understandably, he was unbelievable. People talked about Beckton's 40 time. But then you look at Andrew Thomas and Jedrick Wills, and, and their good performances kind of get buried and, and lost in the mix. What did your um, calculations tell you about the athletic profiles of those four guys? I know Beckton only did the 40, didn't do anything else. And from your perspective, how much separation just from an athletic standpoint and size standpoint is there between those four top guys on the top of the offensive line class? Yeah, and it even extends further than that. So this is, this is the first time that I can remember that I've had an offensive tackle class this stacked at the top that has no real athletic flags. There's usually one or two guys that come in a little below expectations, or maybe they perform poorly, but not with this class. And it's actually bigger than just those four. The top six tackles in this class, so you mentioned the four, there's also Austin Jackson out of Southern California and Ezra Cleveland out of Boise State. They all did amazing at the Combine. Uh, Ezra, Ezra Cleveland had 9.93 out of 10 for Raz. It's ridiculous. Um, all of those other guys had an 8 or higher. Beckton, he got a score, like you said, he only ran the 40 into the bench, but he was in the 9s. Uh, Tristan Wolves was in the high 9s. Thomas and Wills were both in the 8s. These are elite athletes at the tackle position. It's going to be really hard to sift through which guy to take because they're all good on tape. They've all got good uh, technique, and their, their profile is fantastic, and now they've all shown that they're all great athletes you got a couple of guys here at the offensive tackle spot that graded out nine or over in Matthew Pert from Connecticut and the Texas Tech tackle Terrence Steele. 
Um, I don't know anything about those guys because I haven't gotten to them yet on, on my my initial looking at the position. But both of these guys graded very, very highly on your scoreboard. What can you tell us about those two guys? Yeah, those, it's, it's just the same. I hadn't really heard too much about those guys before. Uh, I was told to look out for, for Matt Pert um, to, because I was told he was going to measure really well. Uh, he did a great job. He ran a fantastic 40, ran a 506. He's a bigger guy at six six and a half, um, almost three hundred and twenty pounds. His explosion drills were fantastic. It's kind of overshadowed because of of how great Worf's uh, explosion drills were. He he set a record for the the vert at the combine. Uh, but but Pruitt had a thirty a thirty inch vertical and a nine five broad. That's really good mm. numbers for an offensive tackle. Uh, he struggled with the agility drills, which is one of the things that you really don't want to see from a tackle when they're taking on the faster guys. You don't want to see them struggle in the agility drills. Uh, Terrence Steele had the same thing, great great 40 time, great size, good explosion, and then he struggled when he got to the shuttle. Uh, the shuttle is generally the biggest predictor for an offensive tackle, so that's the most important individual drill. So it's going to be interesting to see what people value Terrence Steele because he has a great overall athletic profile. But there's that one big blemish on it. He's got to try to put those concerns to bed. Yeah, I was going to ask you. So in your hist, in your experience, then it's the short shuttle and the three cone, the agility drills that really will determine how good an offensive. I shouldn't say determine, but is more predictive of how an offensive tackle might perform at the next level. Oh yeah, the the short shuttle specifically. Cone time is good uh, as a more general explanation of athletic ability and agility for a tackle. Uh, but the short shuttle is one of the biggest predictors for any position. Um, when you look on the offensive line, you generally want a guy that has a, a shuttle time in the four fours. I think the threshold was four four seven. Josh Norris on Twitter did a big thread about that. Um, I think he does it every year now because it's such a big deal. Um, but you you really want a guy that's in the the mid to low four fours or better, obviously if you can get better. Um, but that's a huge predictor of success in the NFL. So overall athletic profile is big, but if you have a, an overall athletic profile and a great shuttle time like Ezra Cleveland from Boise State did, that's going to turn some heads. I noticed that while Okuda was limited in his participation, you have C.J. Henderson is coming up with a 10, which uh, I think will make a lot of people happy because there are groups who think uh, uh, Henderson, that he is, uh, Henderson is the second-best corner in this draft and potentially a top 10. What can you tell us about uh, analyzing his numbers? Yeah, Henderson came in with a fantastic score. I, I knew that he was a good athlete based on his tape. It, it pops every time that you throw him on. He's definitely got some speed. Uh, he ran a 4.39, which is better than what I expected him to run, but still really good. Um, his explosion numbers were really good. His, his vertical jump, just by a mathematical quirk, wasn't in, in the, the eights. It was a 7.96. He was a half inch away from having everything in the green. Um, so that might, that might jump, maybe. The numbers might push that up a little bit as we go through the draft season. It's that close. Um, but he, he, he would take over the 10 spot from Marshawn Lattimore, who currently holds the 10 overall spot, who had in turn taken that over from Darrell Revis. So those are, those are some good names to be in company with. Now, Okuda came in at 9.56 on, on your chart. And again, I don't know if that's because he did skip some things and maybe didn't fill out everything he needed to fill out. Or is there something there that, that I'm not seeing? Uh, Okuda actually measured the same, uh, the same metrics that uh, C.J. Henderson did. He skipped the agility drills. Okay. A lot of guys did. A lot of defensive backs skipped the yeah. agility drills. Um, but his, his bench was poor. That's really the only thing that hurt his mm. overall score was that he, didn't, he only put up 11 reps in the bench. 
Um, but he ran a 4.48, which is really good. We, we tend to think of that as kind of slow for a corner, but it's, it's, it's not. It's still really fast. We're just so used to all these blazing 4.3 guys that are running nowadays. <laughs> um, but he put up a 41-inch vertical and an 11-foot, 3-inch broad, which are insane kind of numbers. That's 97th and 99th percentile at cornerback, dating back to 1987. And he did both of those after he got hurt. Now, do you put as much stock, and I'll throw wide receivers into the mix too, is the 40 time really that predictive for corners and wide receivers for future success as much as people make it out to be? You really just want to hit a threshold. You don't want to have a guy that runs in the four sixes or mm. worse than that. Um, you kind of just want a guy who's, who meets that threshold. Unless they look really fast on tape and then run, say, a 4-5, which is about average for a corner, then maybe you start, might start questioning it. Uh, but it really depends on the scheme and what you're asking these guys to do. If you're have, having a guy man up every play, you want to have him have that speed to be able to match up with those guys and that jumping ability to be able to to take all those jump balls. Jeff Okuda has that. I mentioned that 448 speed is nothing to really be concerned about. Um, when you have a zone corner, speed doesn't matter quite as much if your defense relies on zone. Mm-hmm. You really right. want those explosive guys and the quick guys because it's all about how quickly you can react and go from a standing stop or a, a short shuttle or a short move going from one direction to the other. It's about how quickly you can move to a spot rather than just keeping in line with your man. So it depends on scheme when you're looking at those sorts of things. Before I jump to a different position, I want to go back for a second to offensive lineman. One guy I forgot to ask you about because he was one of the few that did not score well, but a lot of people have him as their fifth offensive lineman in this class, and that's Josh Jones out of Houston. How did he score, and how does he? how do you think his numbers impact where he might end up going in the draft in a couple months. Yeah, he actually didn't test that poorly either. He didn't test as well as he'd expected to, and I mentioned how great this class was in terms of the athletic guys. Uh, he came in with a 7.28 out of 10. That's not great. It's not terrible. I, I think what hurts him is that he was considered such an athletic specimen that measuring out as just a good athlete instead of a great athlete mm. is the part that might hurt him. Uh, he's not considered as technically refined as some of these other guys, your, your Andrew Thomases and Jedrick Wills. He's one of those guys that might have a little bit more wrinkles to his game. Uh, so it probably hurts him a little bit. I'm not sure how much. He's still a very good athlete. I noticed for your quarterback's listings, uh, Justin Herbert did come up with the highest score. Of course, Tua was a DNQ, I guess did not qualify for your rankings. But uh, but Herbert was the number one guy, and I, I found that to be interesting because uh, you know Burrow was also a DNQ. And there are those, like myself, who actually like Herbert as the best guy in the class. Yeah, I did not expect Herbert to measure that well at all. Uh, and it's not really a knock on Herbert as a player. He's a really good player. Uh, it's just that he's six six. How many guys are six foot six and still come out as ridiculous athletes when they go to measure? They don't. They don't usually run that well. You have a guy that tall uh, as, at quarterback. They tend to be take a little bit longer to get up to speed. He didn't have that problem at all. You're in a four six eight in the forty, which is fantastic for a quarterback. Uh, he had great explosion drills. His agility drills weren't that good. But the thing to note about his agility drills is that he had a 7.063 cone. That's one of the more important drills that people consider for quarterbacks because it shows how well they can move in space, you know, escaping the pocket, things like that is a little bit more important. And he had a 7.06. That's 75th percentile. That would be good for a six-foot flat quarterback, and he's 6'6". That's, that's crazy good for a guy his size. So it's going to be something I think you're going to hear more about. You're, you're going to hear him called uh, an unexpectedly good athlete or a sneaky athlete. But uh, he measured out, you mentioned, a 9.69 out of 10. That's, that's crazy good. One of the networks the other day actually had a debate 
Is he going to be the second quarterback taken after Burrow ahead of Tua? Because everybody seems to think Tua is going to be the next guy. Uh, based on what you now know about Herbert, how likely is that possibility? I wouldn't say it's impossible. Uh, Tua got really good news about his hip when he was at the Combine. There was not, uh, Overwhelmingly positive was the term that they used for, for the news that he received about his hip. Um, he's not going to perform at Alabama's Pro Day. He set up his own personal Pro Day after that. I don't think we're going to know much until we have that second Pro Day and he actually starts to throw if he throws. Um, if he doesn't throw at that second Pro Day or if there's some kind of bad news between now and then, I think it's almost a certainty he's not the second quarterback. Um, if he is still healthy and he still throws, I still wouldn't rule it out. You mentioned yourself, Justin Herbert is not a bad prospect, and coming in as athletic as he was, that was unexpected. That's an extra wrinkle to his game, and we've seen how the game is evolving. You want a more athletic quarterback out there who's able to make plays with his feet, and Justin Herbert showed he can do that. I don't know if Tua is going to be able to show that between now and the draft. Let, let's go to the wide receivers, Kent, because it was a you know much ballyhooed class going in, and for the most part, they did not disappoint, but... Amazingly enough, the two guys that are considered at the top of the class, CeeDee Lamb and Jerry Judy, they did not perform as well athletically as some of these projected second and third round picks. Yeah, it was, it was an interesting class because it's very, very deep. There's, there's a lot of players in this class that are going to go in the second, third, and fourth rounds that are still going to have good NFL success. Uh, Jerry Judy came out and had good explosion numbers. He didn't have the vertical a lot of people expected him to do. Uh, he only ran a 4-5, which is Perfectly fine. That's 73rd percentile. That's still a good 40-yard dash, especially when you're, you're almost 6'2 and 200 pounds. You know, he's got good size. But the thing to note about both of those guys is they crushed the drill portion of the combine. Mm. You know, as much as I talk about the metrics, the, the interviews and the medicals, those are more important. And then the on-field drills, that's where teams are going to actually see what they can do on a football field. And those, both, both those guys did really, really good there. Uh, actually, one of the lower-scoring players in this class for Raz was, was uh, James Prochet out of SMU one of my favorite players, and he also did really, really well in the drills. So um, they may not have scored as well as people expected. They still scored pretty well enough that I don't think there's going to be too much people considering it a risk. Uh, but they were able to do enough with the other parts of the combine to kind of mitigate those fears. You know, Kent, the guy that I really wanted for the Giants with the potential third-round supplemental pick was Chase Claypool of Notre Dame. Not anymore. <laughs> and he blew up the combine, and I don't see any way he gets to the Giants at the end of the third round, and that disappoints me immensely. Uh, can you talk about what he did to blow away the numbers? Yeah, Chase Claypool is a bit of an athletic marvel. Uh, like you mentioned, I don't, I don't think that his draft stock got hurt at all by the no, combine. No, um, he got immediate athletic comparisons to Calvin Johnson, and it's rare that I'm able to look at a profile and say, you know what, that's not that far off from an athletic standpoint. Uh, Calvin Johnson, of course, holds the ten overall for Raz and has since 2007. Uh, nobody's even come close to contending for it. Uh, DK Metcalf almost did last year before he did his agility drills. Uh, Chase Claypool, he skipped the agility drills. He wasn't having any of that. Um, <laughs> he currently sits <laughs> he currently sits just below Calvin Johnson in terms of his average, and that's not a bad spot to be. Yeah. I mean, if, if the worst blemish on your, your draft grade is almost as athletic as Calvin Johnson, <laughs> I think you're doing all right. Yeah, exactly, which means I got no chance to get him at the end of the third round. Yeah, and by the way, <laughs> uh, and now another guy that if the Giants want to use a second-round pick on a wide receiver, he might not be there. Fits the profile, the type of receiver Paul's looking for. Denzel Mims out of Baylor, mm -hmm. a 6'3 guy. Yep. And, you know, he, he, 
I, I just can't figure out why he shouldn't be a first-round pick. Besides, between his production, he showed better route running at the senior bowl. And then his three-cone drill, Ken, at the combine, for a guy at his size, is absurd. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's obscene. Uh, uh, it's a six-six-six, and you can make it that what you want. Uh, <laughs> but that is an amazing, that's an amazing three-cone for a small receiver. Small receivers don't usually hit that number. That's crazy. Uh, it, his his shuttle time was oddly really bad. Uh, his shuttle time was a four four three, which is really bad for a receiver. Um, but all of his other numbers are in the green. Uh, I don't think anybody expects him to come out and be that level of athlete. We know he's explosive. We know he's got good size. I, I think most people expect him to do well there. But running a four three eight and that ridiculous cone time—that's going to turn some heads. Uh, people were already talking about him as a day two possibly a fringe day one talent. I think you're looking at Denzel Mims now as one of the guys that goes at the end of the first round. Um, I don't see him slipping much farther than that. Last one on wide receivers for me, three guys that are considered big play guys, maybe in different ways, but big play guys. Brandon Ayuk out of Arizona State, um, Henry Ruggs out of Alabama, and then Levi- and then uh, Jalen Rager out of TCU. How do you think those guys helped to hurt their stock over the weekend? Yeah, Henry Ruggs did, you know, he, he was very upset with himself. I think he's the only person in the country that was really upset that he, that he only ran in the high 4-2s. <laughs> <you know? laughs> he ran a 4-2-7, which is extremely fast. It's only 99.7th percentile at receiver. There's only a few guys that have run faster than that. He also had a 42-inch vertical, and he was probably super disappointed in himself that he didn't get an 11-foot broad. He only hit 10-foot 11 inches in the broad jump. Um, so he was probably disappointed in that. No one else in the universe is. Uh, <laughs> Henry Ruggs is a ridiculous athlete. He went out and showed that he is. Uh, we always talk about you don't count things twice. Um, this is definitely a situation in that. The people that liked his profile on tape just got validated. Everything that he does on tape, he was able to show that he can do athletically. Uh, Brandon Ayuk also did really well in the areas that he needed to. Uh, he ended up with an 8.65 RAS. He measured out a 40-inch vertical and a 10-foot-8 broad. Those are elite numbers. Uh, he only came in with a 4.5. That was a little bit disappointing. Uh, when you're that explosive, there's a lot more that you can do uh, than just running in a straight line fast. You can get out of your brakes a lot quicker. So I'm, I'm hopeful that that doesn't hurt him too much. There's, there might be some talk about it as we get closer to the draft. He's not a bigger dude. He's only 5'11 and a half, 205. Um, so he doesn't have that huge size advantage. But when you're that explosive and you're still pretty darn fast, that shouldn't hurt you too much. Uh, Jalen Rager actually got hurt a little bit by part of his combine. He had great explosion numbers like everybody expected. He ran a 4.4740. That was a little bit slower than people expected him to run. It's still really good. I don't know how much that actually hurts him. Um, I've been told that he was, he was uh, measuring hurt a little bit, which would kind of explain how bad his agility drills were. Like DK Metcalf last year, he ran really poor agility drills. He ran a 4.46 shuttle and a 7.31 cone. Those are really poor numbers, uh, 15th and 16th percentile respectively. So not very good there. Uh, but the, the places where he really wins are how explosive and how fast he is, and he did really well there. So I'm not sure how much that's going to hurt his stock. Really interested what he does at his pro day. Kent, there was one guy coming in. The anticipation was he would do great in the underwear Olympics and actually outperform his game tape, and that was Justin Jefferson. And it looked like he lived up to that billing right on the money. Oh, yeah. Justin Jefferson uh, – 
he did, he definitely exceeded expectations. I think if any receiver did better than people had expected him to, it would be Justin Jefferson out of Louisiana State. He had elite uh, explosion drills, a 37.5 vert and a 10.6 broad. Uh, he ran a 4.43, which is great speed. A lot of people had questioned whether or not he had that speed. He's more of an inside guy. Um, but he definitely showed that he has the athleticism to compete. Uh, he scored a 9.83 out of 10 for his Raz. That's nothing to, to shake a stick at. That's really good. All right, Kent. Let's. Uh, if you have a few more minutes, I want to hit a couple defensive positions. You got some time? Sure. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Perfect. Um, defensive ends. A lot of people thought this edge class was not great coming in, and I guess to an extent that was confirmed a little bit with what we saw in Indy. Yeah, a little bit. Um, there, there aren't a lot of big benders in this class. I mentioned Derek Tuska earlier as the only player that got sub-seven in a three-cone for a pure edge guy. There was a couple of linebackers that, that could play edge that hit that. Um, but you usually see five or six guys that, that at least hit seven or get better. There's only one in this class that broke seven in the, in the three-cone. Uh, the biggest guy that got a lot of flack was A.J. Epinesa out of Iowa. Uh, he only had a 4.3 Raz. He ran a 5.0440 time. That's not great. I actually wrote an entire article just about A.J. Epinesa today uh, to talk a little bit about why the numbers are a little bit deceiving with him. Um, if you watch him on tape, you don't really see a fast guy. He's, he's explosive and he's quick on the interior. He has a great inside move, great hand uses, very strong player. Uh, but he didn't do that well in the 40 and his bench. The, the bench I'm not too worried about because he has really long arms, and it's just physics. If you have longer arms, it's a lot tougher to do the bench press. Um, but there's a lot of concern about that 40 time and his overall athletic profile. Uh, but when you compare him to defensive linemen, so defensive tackles that are under 325 and defensive ends that are over 275, his score was really, really well. Um, I don't have a whole lot of concerns about him athletically, but if you're drafting A.J. Epinesa to be your, your speed rusher off the edge, there's already something wrong with what you're doing. Um, you should be <laughs> drafting him to be that, that powerful edge setter that can rush on the interior, that can flip inside on some packages, that can, can really be a mauler on the inside. If you're drafting him to do that, I don't have any concerns over him athletically. Uh, other than that, though, there wasn't, like you mentioned, there wasn't a lot of guys that really stood out in, in any meaningful way. There's still a couple guys that got elite scores, but those are the guys that we expected to be elite athletes. There's a lot of technical issues with them on tape. So I'm not sure that anybody else really helped their case all that much at end i was going to ask you about the linebackers can't because aside from the edge guys the the inside linebackers if you will you know it seemed to me that the comments we were getting out at indianapolis was that that group was much faster and maybe more athletic than a lot of people expected we came in not hearing much about those guys except for a handful and now it seems like there's a more favorable view of the group how did you see it, and was there a guy who you think really helped himself? Oh, yeah, and see, this was another group where I mentioned that a lot of guys outperformed expectations, guys that came in with that storyline that they're, they, they need to run a good 40. We're not sure that they can really hit that. I don't know a single linebacker that didn't exceed expectations. Most of these guys that were expected to run poorly ran really well. Uh, even Malik Harrison, Malik Harrison out of Ohio State, he wasn't considered a poor athlete. But there were a lot of people that had concerns about his agility, whether or not he could show that he could move in space. We knew that he could run pretty good in a straight line, and he did. He comes out here and he runs a 6.83 three-cone. Yeah, that's 95th percentile. I think, we're, I think we're done talking about whether or not he has the agility to, <laughs> let, to last in the NFL. Yeah, he nailed that. We already talked about Isaiah Simmons. Uh, Kenneth Murray, 
uh, he was a, another highly touted player out of Oklahoma. He did really well. Unfortunately, went down with injury. He hurt himself on his second 40, so hopefully we'll hear some good news on him. Uh, but where he was sitting before that with his explosion drills and his, his speed drills was a 9.93 RAS. That's pretty high up there. I mean, if it wasn't for Isaiah, Isaiah Simmons being a mutant, we'd be talking about Kenneth Murray right now and how good, good that he did. Um, right. But it isn't just them. There's a whole list of these guys that, that people weren't really expecting that much out of that did really good. Uh, the guy I think helped himself the most, though, was Casey Tuhill out of Stanford. Uh, he had concerns about his athleticism on tape. I, I'd heard nothing but, oh, we don't know if he's explosive enough to handle zone assignments. We don't know if he's agile enough to deal with guys underneath. We don't know if he's fast enough to be able to be a true edge player. Well, he put up elite numbers in speed. He ran a 4.62 in his 40. He put up elite numbers in explosion, a 39-inch vert and a 10.6 broad. He put up great agility drills. He had a 421 shuttle and a 7-8 comb, which is really good. Defensive back-wise, we talked about the top of the cornerback class. Anybody, you know, else separate themselves in that second or third round area, you know, in, in that kind of second group after Henderson or maybe even a little bit deeper that, that you thought really performed well? Or maybe a guy like Dantzler hurt himself a little bit. Yeah, Dantzler ran in the 4-6 range. I mentioned that before. You don't really want to see corners that run in that. I, I don't know how teams are going to evaluate it. Um, you can always help yourself by having a better 40. I'd seen people talking about uh, at your pro day. I'd seen people talking about he had really bad form when he did his 40. Uh, I would expect him to, to practice a little bit more and to rerun his pro day. Uh, if he significantly improves that number, so greater than .07 difference, so if he runs in the low 4.5s or the high 4.4s, I would consider that a good enough improvement to start looking at as, as something that was just a fluke of how he was doing it at the Combine. Um, guys that really helped themselves, though, yeah, guys that, guys that really helped themselves, uh, like A.J. Terrell out of Clemson, he put up a 9.69 out of 10. I don't think anybody was expecting that. He did really good. He really helped his stock. Uh, Jalen Johnson's a guy out of Utah that had been talked about as possibly slipping into the first round. He also did really well. Um, he has a fun profile in that he didn't really post elite numbers anywhere, but he posted above average numbers in everything. His size grade, his speed grade, speed grade, explosion, and agility. Every score that he had was good. He's a guy that has no athletic flaws. And I think you can do a lot with that. Uh, finally was Jeff Gladney. He's a guy that people consider the second or third best cornerback, depending on who you ask. Um, and he did really well as well. Uh, he didn't do as well as people had hoped. He ran a really poor uh, three-cone drill. I mentioned that a lot of people were underperforming in that drill. Um, so he underperformed there, and that dropped him out of that elite range. Uh, but he has a chance to make that up when he gets to his pro day as well. So TCU's pro day is another one that I'm hoping to pay attention to. Final one for me, Kent, and that would be with these corners, how do you differentiate the track record of a guy who's going to be a better slot corner or a mm. better boundary corner? Good question. Yeah, and you, you really want your big athletes on the outside. You can kind of get by with a, a, a little bit less uh, overall athleticism in the slot. You really want to have quicker guys there, guys that are still a little bit explosive. Um, but I think you generally tend to find that you can mitigate some of those things. Um, on the outside, you don't really have a whole lot of those guys that can make do when they don't have the, the elite-level athleticism to face against top receivers. Um, but there's a lot of slot corners in the NFL. They slot corner is a starting position in the NFL. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm trying to find a good way uh, to differentiate between slot and outside corners. I don't quite have that built out just yet. But okay. uh, for me, you're mainly paying attention to the agility numbers primary, less so with speed and explosion. Yeah, and unfortunately, since so few corners ran those agility drills at the combine, we don't have much to work with in terms of right. trying to 
figure that stuff out, which is a shame. Um, I, w I, I was one question about the safeties, Ken. I know that's not a big um, need for the Giants, but uh, touch on Antoine Winfield specifically because I thought he was great at the podium. I know he's not tall, but, boy, his film and his workouts, I thought his drill work, his times were all wonderful. Um, I'd love to hear your take on, on what he did out there and then any other safeties that kind of really jumped out to you that, that helped himself this week. Yeah, we, men we mentioned the, the, the storylines. The guys did a lot better. Antoine Winfield wasn't expected to measure well. He was expected to test poorly at the Combine. Uh, he did come in at five foot nine, which is not something you want, but he, he hit over 200 pounds in his weight, so he's got that stocky thickness that you want for a guy that's going to be hitting people. Uh, but he ran a 4.45 in his 40. For a guy with speed concerns, that's way above what you would expect. Uh, he had good explosion drills. The big question with Winfield is going to be his medicals. We didn't find anything new out at the Combine about that. Uh, it says a lot, though, that he was able to measure and that he did so well when that was a concern. Uh, there was two guys that I wanted to mention for the safety class, just because you're talking outside of the first round most likely now. Uh, but Jeremy Chin out of Southern Illinois mm. and Kyle Duggar out of Lenoir Rhine, both of those guys ran ridiculous drills and had great explosion. Jeremy Chin ended up with a 9.97 Raz. Kyle Duggar ended up with a 9.86. These are smaller school guys, but they're athletic phenoms. They're, they're going to be used similarly to how uh, uh, Isaiah Simmons is going to be used, and they're going to have a, a hybrid linebacker safety type of role. Uh, there's probably going to be a longer uh, development time because both these guys are coming from smaller programs. Uh, but those are big names to watch on day two of the draft. Can't, stuff. I, I guess we should. he's here. We might as well ask him. Tight ends and running back, just your general take on those two position groups just because we haven't asked you about them at all. Okay. Why not? <laughs> uh, tight ends. Generally poor. Uh, we only had three guys get above eight for Raz in this class, and it was the top two, uh, two of the three top tight ends got that. So the the guys that really needed to hit those marks did. Nobody else really stood out. Uh, the running back class. We had quite a few really good athletes in the running backs. Nobody really surprised uh, out of the running backs except Cam Akers out of Florida State. There was some concerns about whether he had the speed or explosion to make do in the NFL, and he did plenty fine in those areas. Um, so it's not the strongest class uh, at tight end. Running back has a lot of, of good players, not a lot of great players at the top. Um, but uh, Eno Benjamin's another guy out of Arizona State who people didn't expect to measure well. Uh, and he didn't measure great. He only ended up with a 6.28 Raz. But a 6.28 is better than a 5. And a lot of people expect him to be a poor athlete, not a good one. So he hit marks that I don't think people expect him to. Kent, awesome stuff. Tell people where they can find your work. You can find all of my work. Everything's now up at relativeathleticscores.com. You can find every player card from any player who qualifies from 1987 to now 2020, including the combine. It's going to be updated daily. Um, you can download the program, program there and start looking at stuff. That will be updated on Friday and then every Friday thereafter with all the new information. Uh, and you can also find me at Twitter, uh, on Twitter at MathBomb. Um, I'm always available for questions or suggestions. Hit me up. Kent, always appreciate you joining us every year. We really appreciate the time, and I know I'll be in touch if we have any questions on some of these athletic scores that come in from these pro days, man. Be good, and we'll talk to you down the road, all right? Thanks, Kent. Thank you, sir. Have a great one, guys. Hey, Kent Lee Platt does a great, great job. I know you get a little technical with the numbers here, and I think Kent does a good job of contextualizing the numbers. It wasn't just throwing figures at us during that interview. You know, he mm -hmm. tried to contextualize them, and I think the point he made that I think at the start of the interview that was a good one. For a lot of these numbers and these timed events, Paul, and, and reps and things like that, it's all about hitting thresholds where if you're a 4-5-5 five, five wide receiver, you're fine. 
If you're a you know four four five wide receiver, you're fine. But if you get into the four sixes or four sevens, all of a sudden, maybe you are good enough to make up for that lack of athleticism wherever you happen to play in college. But it's going to be tough to make up for that lack of athleticism once you get into the league. Well, I love the fact that he recognizes his numbers are only numbers and that the interviews and the medicals are a heck of a lot more important than just the numbers. Uh, too many of these people who live on data don't necessarily do that. They don't understand that the intangibles are significant. He gets that. Well, he said that flat out. Yeah. He said it. And to his point, his point on AJ, that's good. his point on AJ Epinesa, everyone's jumping ship on the kid, but if you watch how he wins, it's, he doesn't win with athleticism. No, it's, it's heart, it's guile, it's craftiness. These are things that you don't measure with numbers. And so, again, I love the fact that he recognizes that. That, that makes me appreciate what he said more. Yes, and it gives context, obviously, to everything he talked to us about. Big Blue Kickoff Live is brought to you by Coors Light, Mountain Cold Refreshment, made to chill. We appreciate you being with us today, and thank you for holding with the phone calls. I know people have been holding a while. We'll get to all of you right now, but I thought that was a real you know, nice way to finally have our kind of last wrap-up on the Combine here from a numbers perspective <laughs> to really dig into some of the events. Because remember, when we left the Combine last week, Paul, on Friday, we only had one night of events that we had to talk about. The other right. stuff hadn't happened yet. That happened over the weekend. Right. So I got home. My wife was like, oh, you're, you're home. You can give me a break. I've been with the kid all week. No, honey, so I have to watch eight hours of Combine footage over, the, over three days. I watched nonstop Combine and XFL all weekend. That's how you know you're a football junkie, folks. Or crazy. That too. One or the other. <laughs> Take your pick. <laughs> All right. Let, let's go to the phones and start with Joe in Pennsylvania. He's up first. Hey, Joe. Hey, hi, guys. There, I finally hi. get through there. You know, it's tough here with the phones. You get hung up on here, too. Uh, uh, our biggest need, I guess everyone would consent that it's either like the offensive tackle or defensive end rusher or playmaker on defense, correct? Well, I mean, you could pick the position. We know what functions the Giants need to improve on. Pass rush is one of them. Playmaker, fine. Whatever you want to identify it as, we know. We know they need upgrades on the offensive line. They need an upgrade in the front seven on defense. If you want to make it real simple. Yeah, yeah. okay. Now, I know you're, you like Leonard a lot, Paul, but I, I'm, I'm starting to think here, too. I don't know. Now, these def- now I know he's going to take a nice sum here. I was thinking of these uh, that if I'm the general manager here, I, I I definitely have to consider this with my coaches and that. Would I want want uh, Leonard, or do do I want to try to go and sign somebody like Clowney if he's still available, or or who's the top defensive? Is that uh, defensive end from Jacksonville still there, or was he franchised? You know. Well, look, the franchise period's still going on. The Jaguars have mm-hmm. indicated, I don't know if they've done it officially yet, but they've indicated that they are going to franchise Yannick Ngakwe. Mm-hmm. And Jadavian Clowney will not be franchised, or at least that was the deal they made with him when they traded for him. Um, Eric Armstead, Justina Anderson had a report late last week that they were going to try to work out a long-term deal with him. Right. So no word on that yet. And then we have to see about the other guys. Is word that Bud Dupree might get franchised. Is word that Matthew Judon might get franchised. Well, so. Well, I- I'm just saying that these guys here, do you think any of these guys here would be more helpful than signing Leonard if you had a choice Mm. there? Well, see, Joe, remember something about Clowney. He has quite an injury history, and he can't be helping you if he's in the trainer's room. 
Okay, well, you've got to be I, real careful how much money you give a guy who may not be there for you every single weekend. And, and he'll also make more money than Leonard Williams, more likely than not. Yes. Uh, okay, but but it's, even if it's a few thousand uh, or a few million more, I I mean here. Uh, Five or I more. Still, if I'm the general manager, I have to. Con- is there anybody else that you would consider over Leonard or no? Well, I mean, I don't think it's an either-or proposition either. I think you can bring back Leonard Williams to play tackle, and then you want to bring in an edge rusher on top of that. I'm not sure it's necessarily an either-or proposition. You know what I mean? Oh, well, I was just looking at that's one of our biggest, you know, an impact player like that, or or do we want to sign Simmons? And then I I was even thinking of this scenario. You, you mean draft Simmons. You mean draft uh, Simmons, right, Joe? Right. Yeah, you can't just dinner. sign him. It'd be great if you just could, but you just, you just can't do that. I, I mean, sign him. But here, here, here's the scenario. Here's the scenario with Leonard. Do you think this this has any uh, uh, culture to it? Is what I mean here. If can we franchise him, and even before we franchise him, get on the phone and say we'll franchise him and sell him, trade him to you to your. Uh, to another team? Can we do that? I, first of all, I don't see that happening. I think what you may see happen with him is that he will get tagged potentially. Okay, Dave Gettleman said they have considered that. And it would buy them time to negotiate a deal with him. That's done all the time in this league. Tags don't necessarily mean that that's the intent. A lot of times, the tag is simply meant to buy time, and that would not surprise me in the least. Now, the interesting thing, and we talked to Joe Corey about this, if you go back to the Combine show on Thursday, I think it was, that we had Joel on. Yes, yes, he so was. I believe it was 12, was. I think it was 12, maybe one fifteen on uh, on that particular show. And Joel Corey, former NFL agent, we don't have the uh, individual interview up on Giants.com. We do have the full show. If you go and you find it, uh, he did a great job breaking down what the market's going to be like for all these mm-hmm. guys. He thinks the top edge rushers, and again, this is just his opinion, not us, that the top edge rushers will be going for 20 plus million that another player from another position is going to top 20 plus million for the first time. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe that's Amari Cooper, maybe that's Byron Jones. Mm-hmm. Um, who knows? I don't know who else would necessarily be in that mix considering the other guys are probably going to be franchised. Um, and you know, he thought Leonard Williams was an interesting dynamic. He didn't know if another team was going to come along and offer, you know, the type of deal he might want over a long-term contract, and it might be in his best interest to look for a shorter-term one-year deal. So it, it all depends how that market frames up and how the Giants want to protect themselves. Because to your point, Paul, the, the tags are meant to protect the teams that own the rights of the player so mm-hmm. that they can't lose them. So the tag amount is different <clears throat> if you transition them or franchise them. That's a decision the Giants are going to have to make. If there are two tags, we don't even know that. Well, yeah, but the Giants will choose which one they want to use on them. They may not have the choice, though. There may only be one tag. Well, yeah, but you're still only using one tag. Right. But in other words, if they wanted to use the transition and then with the new CBA it doesn't exist, you don't have a choice. No, but that no, but the, the, the transition tag will still exist. You just can't use both in the same offseason. No, no. Part of the CBA is that there may not be two tags. There may only be one tag. They may eliminate the transition tag entirely. Oh, I, I did not see that. I just thought because if if the new deal wasn't signed, you can use two tags. And obviously, if it's signed, you can only use one of them. I was not aware that they were going to eliminate the transition tag yeah. completely. Yeah, that's part of it. I did not read that. I thought that would, that would be news to me. Let's go to Scott. Sorry about that. Let's go to Scott in New Mexico. He's up next. Scott, what's going on? Hi, guys. Hey, Scott. First of all, I just... 
I just wanted to say uh, what an exemplary job both you and Paul did at the Combine. It was very illuminating. Thank you, Scott. We and enjoyed appreciate it. you listening. Yeah, we had fun I doing was. it. And, and in regards to Joel Corey, I thought... Did we just lose another phone call? Yeah. The reality from the fantasy in regards to, uh, you know, how free agency actually works. Guess because not. people think, oh, you just get a point, that's it, but... Scott, you got a bad phone line. Do me a favor. Give us a call back. We'll try to get a clearer lineup. You're kind of cutting it out a little bit. We'll, we'll, we'll put you right back up. Yeah, I think a bigger question for the Giants free agent-wise is not are they going to choose to sign somebody else or Leonard Williams. I think it may actually be between are you going to sign Marcus Golden and Leonard Williams. I could foresee a situation where they decide it's got to be one or the other, and they may not retain both players. Here's how I look at it. I could see that. They're going to have to, simply from a number standpoint, come out of this free agent period with some sort of edge rusher or two. Mm-hmm. Because they simply don't have enough on the roster right now. They have two guys. Totally so agree. you're going to have to add, whether it's bringing back Marcus Golden or something else, or bringing somebody that wasn't on the roster before, you got to bring in somebody, right? Because yeah. they just don't have the numbers right now. I'm just worried because there, yeah, there was a gentleman in particular was one of the, one of the NFL teams said to me, he knows it was an NFC team. They're going to go hard after Marcus Golden. And I said, well, Marcus Golden's a really good player. I think the Giants would love to keep him. But, you know, he's at a second-tier price. He's not a an elite price tag, at least in my mind. And this guy said, oh, well, I know of at least one NFC team that's going to go hard after him. If they want to pay him as a Batman, that's a problem because you – John, welcome. He's to not, the, but he's not Batman. Welcome to the free agency market, man. But he's That's a robber. Why it's so hard? And I happen to be a huge Marcus Golden fan, uh, and he too. plays the run. He, yes. He's a really good player, but he's not Batman. I'm aware. All right, let's go to Scott in New Mexico, and I will rapid fire through these callers, Brandon, as best as possible. Uh, Scott in New Mexico, welcome back, Scott. Your line was kind of cutting out there. We heard you say Joel Corey, and then it was like. <laughs> Okay. okay. Well, I was just trying to give you guys a compliment. I guess it didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Go ahead. Give it a shot. Uh, all right. Uh, so uh, I had a question for you. Uh, actually, a twofold question. Uh, I believe the path to, a, to the playoffs is through your running game. I always believe that. Mm-hmm. And what I'm interested in, uh, listening to Ken just a second ago, was there anyone that you saw that the Giants potentially could get in the later rounds as far as a running back that you were mm-hmm. impressed with that could be a complimentary back to Saquon? That's if if what Joe Judge is saying is true and that Wayne Gallman has a clean slate. I don't know what the circumstances are around him. But they need another back. So I'm just wondering if there was anyone that impressed you that the Giants could get in the later rounds that might be somebody that could fit into that profile. There are two guys that, at least for me, because I'm looking for a bigger back to compliment Barkley. I don't want a third down guy. I want a guy that's going to do short yardage for me and grind things out. So um, he didn't actually perform well at the combine, but based on what I've learned about him and from watching him a little bit, Zach Moss out of Utah. Might have okay. dropped into middle range consideration here, given how he performed at the combine. That's a guy I would consider. And then I believe it's, I think it's AJ Dillon out of Boston College, who had very bad agility drills at the combine, but he was good straight ahead speed, and he's a big kid. So maybe those are the two guys that I noticed could potentially be mid round guys that that could be a compliment. Paul, maybe an Antonio Gibson out of Memphis too. You know, he's he's kind of that like. Do everything, a little more of an all around tweener kind of running guy. back guy. Yes, so a little he's, more of an all around guy. He's he's one of those 
you know who kind of reminds me of? Kind of like that Cordero Patterson offensive weapon type. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. See, the, your question, Scott, really is mm-hmm. rooted in what does Joe Judge think of Wayne Goldman? And, that's and, really right. the that's the number one question that none of us have an answer well, to. And frankly, that's how true. and how he wants to use Saquon. You know, does, does he? You know, does he want him on the field for every third down? Is that when he wants to? You know, you know, give him a break. Does he want to give like another running back a full series? I don't know how he wants to sub Barkley in out of the know. game either. Don't know. Right. Uh, I'm going to do two rapid fire questions. I'll take them both off yes. the air. One is: Was there any kind of athlete similar to a Debo Samuel in the draft this year? Because a lot of teams are gravitating towards a player that can run the jet sweep, mm-hmm. can catch, can do a, a number of variables, sort of like an Isaiah Simmons, who can do multiple things. But was there a player there that you were impressed with a that bunch could of fit them. that role? If you watch and the then, Combine shows on NFL Network, they said there's a bunch of guys who can do Debo Samuel. They're, second, they're, they're okay. all over the place. Second question, Scott. And second question that has to do with something that you said, John. I think it was your interview with Greg Cosell. He was talking about the Giants rebuilding, and you sort of chimed in, no, it's a build-up as opposed to a rebuild. I was just wondering if you can clarify what you actually meant by that, and I'll take your answers sure. off the air. Kind of um, yeah, I, th- I think Antonio Gibson is the guy that Paul mentioned can be that Debo Samuel, to be honest with you. And I he think can. if LaVisca Chenault can get healthy, he's another guy that I think fits that type yep. of role. Yep. And maybe even to a certain extent, because he was so kind of jacked up, Though he's more of a downfield guy, Jalen Rager maybe could be in that mix to a wide receiver to an extent. I don't know. I think that might be a little bit more of a stretch. I like my first two, though. Yeah, yeah. And, the, and the reason I corrected him to build up is because I think the rebuild part of this is over. You know, the re is done. They've torn it down now. So now you're just building up. A rebuild, to me, in the case that you still have some tearing down to do. Agreed. So, and I think that part of this is over. So yep. I think that's why I think right now it's a build up. It's the last phase of your you know rebuild or transformation however you kind of want to put it all right guys we got three callers i gotta get out by like 103 here so we got about five minutes so we're gonna try to get through you as quickly as possible doug in rochester's been holding the longest so we'll take him next doug Hello? Yeah, what's going on, guys? Hey, Doug. What's going on, guys? I got cut off. You called for me and I got cut off. Yeah, I know. No well, worries. Bruce. Go ahead. Hey, um, I want to just talk about the pass rush real quick, you know, mm-hmm. the defense. Um, the Simmons kids look good, but I'm kind of concerned. Um, if Goldman gets signed, um, there's not a uh, Paul. You always talk about a Batman and Robin, so it looks like there's not going to be a Batman for the Giants to get right, even if they keep Goldman, right? Well, I mean, you can always go out and, and and if one of these guys doesn't get franchised and go throw the bank at him if you want, it's an option. Yeah, you just don't know, and and quite honestly, still there could be other veterans who might become salary cap cuts too. We don't know exactly what that pool is. Okay, but you guys think two Robins would be good this season? Two, like, say if Golden goes up to 12 sacks and you get another guy that gets 10 or 11, is that good enough or not? Yeah, I mean, look, there are only so many. There's only about... I don't know, six to ten true Batmans in the league? Two so, Robins I mean, aren't bad if you're paying them as Robins. If well, you're correct. paying them as Batmans, it's a problem. Right. Yeah, but I mean, you if you get another... If, yeah, but Goldman, he might want a Batman's price, like you just said. But um, if push comes to shove, you think you're actually giving that Batman a price? There's just no other guys out there? 
I think you always have to measure value and that production per dollar metric we talk about. I think if you start, and we, and Dave Gettleman spoke to us about this. I asked him the question he flat did. out at the combine. And I said, mm-hmm. you know, Dave, in this market with all the money flying around, how do you find the guy whose price tag is worth the production that will actually finish out his contract? And he said, look, it's really tough, but you just have to make sure that the, the resources you allocate to a player are less or equal to the amount of production you get back. And it's very hard to do in, in the modern NFL with the market the way it is. Yeah, okay. Well, guys, I'll try to give you a call tomorrow when I got more time. That's perfect, right? Doug. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you. Look yeah, forward to it. Yeah. Appreciate the call. Mark in Jersey City, he's up next. Hey, Mark. Uh, hi, good afternoon, guys. Hi. Uh, Paul, uh, Paul, a couple of things for you. You flipped. You staunch offensive tackle, which I'm all for. I'm an old-school guy. I'm not even a Giants fan. I'm a Bills fan. I had a conversation with you on Twitter yesterday about my next question. Okay. Isaiah Simmons, you went right to him. Yep. And I, I totally agree with you. You are, you are back on Monday, Isaiah Simmons. You're ready to roll. Yep. You're off um, the offensive tackle. Oh, yeah. I would be very happy if they took an offensive tackle at four, but right now my preference is Isaiah Simmons. Interesting. I, did not, I was not aware of that. Nah, I want to have a conversation about this. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Mark. Uh, I just was curious why you flipped on that. And the second part was yeah, me the, too. Same guy, the same guy you had on at the Combine was also on the Bill Station talking about similar things with Josh Allen that he was saying about Daniel Jones, turnover-worthy plays, and so on and so forth. And he also talked about, uh, you know, just a lot of the analytics that they used are, are very clunky. He used words like fluky and uh, um, just freaky plays. And that's not an analytic to me. When you use words like fluky and flunky and, and just have that, no. There's a reason Marcus Golden gets 10 sacks because he hustles as you know what often. He and does. He creates a lot, a lot of second effort. Coaches actually like that. They mm-hmm. don't downgrade for that. Mm-hmm. So uh, no, no, but see, I'm, I'm going to pause you for a second, though, Mark. But a sack that happens in the first three seconds of a pass rush is more valuable than a sack that happens five or six seconds into a pass rush. It just is. No, I get that, but how many times have you seen a guy lollygag behind on the backside of a play when he actually, if he would have hustled, he would have made a play? No, Mark, that, no, no, Mark that's true, and, and hustle is valuable. There's no question about it. I'm not saying it's not, but if you look at how a player, for example, you look at B.J. Hill's, what do he have, six and a half sacks as rookie, Paul? What do he yeah. have, something like that? Yeah, and three Five of them came in one day. You should not be surprised that he dropped down this year because you saw how he got his sacks. He was either unblocked or his screen passes, and look— it's not perfect, and I think you have to also be careful calling Pro Football Focus just an analytics company. The reason, the way they do the, what they do is that they literally watch every play on film. Everything they do is based on what the guys do on the field um, from a film perspective. It's not just based on you know numbers like Ken has and he puts them into the formula and the number pops out. That's not how they come across and, and, and do their grading and things like that, Mark. I should probably make clear how I feel about those folks. I believe that their data is really nice and they 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 work very hard and put a lot of effort into putting their data together i don't have a complaint about their data what i would complain about is the analysis that they present off of that data that's something i will not pay attention to i just flat out will not because there are too many intangibles that they cannot take into account 
when they give their analysis. Well, yeah, I mean, but their you, numbers, yeah, right. their numbers are their numbers. Right. You, you I will, wouldn't argue the numbers. You, you will never hear Paul and I go out and parrot a grade that they put on a player on the show and say, "Well, that's what the player is graded at. That's what it is." But you, I think they do. What I like about what they do, Mark, I think they do a good job providing context and they try to explain why certain things happen. And I think that, to me, is is why it's valuable. Like, why a guy one year might have 10 sacks, but the next year he drops down to two. Well, why is that? Why? What, what changed from year to year? And I think that's when a lot of their research and stuff comes in handy. I don't take it that far, but I understand your point. No, I totally understand that. that they had a similar situation on the Bills. Uh, uh, Jordan Phillips had never had a sack before in his career, and all of a sudden this year he pops up with nine and a half. So I, I, I understand there's that, but there's a level of spin that they do implement with their data, and I, that's something I would never move off. There's no way Trey White is a, a 13th-ranked corner in the league. The guy was a first-team all-pro and a pro bowler. But under these people's uh, metrics, he's a, the 13th-best corner in the league. Well, I, you know, that, one, one year PFF had a free-agent veteran safety as one of the top, like, five graded PFF safeties in the league. The Giants brought him in during summer camp. The guy couldn't even make it out of training camp because he was so terrible. Okay? And it's like, okay, what does that grade mean? Absolutely nothing. So Who was that? You, I'm, I'm not going there. No, just give me the name. It's okay. I'm it's not okay. going there. All right, I'll ask you off the air. Go ahead. He was a former AFC safety. Anyway, go ahead. Oh, uh, that's all, guys. I really appreciate what you do, even as an outsider. Uh, like I've told you many times, you're, you, the, the, you know, you do a short and sweet show, and you guys' level of interaction with the caller is it's the best, the best in the league for Th- any show on a website. Thank you, Mark. Well, thank we you appreciate so much. that. That's very kind words, and 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 we appreciate. It. And again, you have metrics, and then there's subjective analysis off that data and mm-hmm. i think that's where you kind of figure it out and that's to each their own you look at the data then you make your own analysis and yeah from person to person even at pff different guys that, that work for that company have different analysis it isn't a uniform thing which is why any data is data it's how you evaluate that data and analyze it to come to your opinion that can vary from person to person which i think is to your point yep um final call of the show bruce in albany he'll wrap us up hey bruce Oh, I actually have to click Bruce in. That's my fault. Bruce, go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, I'll go quickly here. No, you're Unless fine. Unless we get Chase Young, I don't want to come out of this draft without our future left tackle and a bunch of excuses. And I think we need a center almost as much. If you go back and look at some of the films, that's why we have a running back that can't run up the middle is because our center play is horrible. So if we get Tristan Wirfs and we go back and get Cesar Ruiz, I'd be very happy. And here are the plays. You know about playmakers? Here's the plays I want. I want to be near the top of the league in third and short. I want to be near the top of the league in yards before contact. And I want to be at the top of the league in protecting our quarterback. That's the plays I want. I don't care about some guy making three plays a game. Okay? Bruce, I, I think, you, I think if, if, that, if that's what you want to achieve, I think you made a nice little plan to try to achieve those goals. And I think you named a couple of pretty good guys that would help you do it. <laughs> no argument. Brandon, real quick before you say goodbye, I gotta ask him. So, why are you off the offensive tackle and on Simmons now? I need to oh, know. Oh, I went into a very lengthy explanation on yesterday's show. Can you summarize it in thirty seconds? For so, me? summarize it. <laughs> I think Simmons is more of a bona fide, sure thing, checking all the boxes than any of the offensive tackles are, and I believe the Giants can get what is a known as a red chip offensive tackle at the top of the second round. Very simple. Who would be your offensive tackle target at the top of the second round? Uh, I would try to get uh, Josh Jones if I could. If he's not there, I'm going after Jackson. I would consider Ezra Cleveland. Uh, I think one of those three guys could be there at the top of the second round, and those are red chip guys. 
uh, the drop off after Simmons on defense. There's just after that. I mean, so you think you know? So you have no confidence you can get Queen or Murray then in the second round, because I think that would be a similar drop off to what you're looking at at offensive tackle. Mm, nah, I'm not so sure. I think I think the offensive tackle high second round is still better value for me. And consequently, I've now gone to Simmons at number four. However, you don't as, think there's any risk to Simmons that his effectiveness will really be dependent on how you use him. I think the Giants know how to use him. I love this coaching staff, and I think they know what they're doing. I would also say that I would not be adverse if the Giants traded out of four and moved down a few spots. If they did that, that next that first pick is going to be an offensive tackle. I'll tell you what, because if it's not Simmons, it's going to be an offensive uh, if tackle. You go down to seven, Paul. You could still get Isaiah Simmons. Again, if you can get him. But right. if he's not there, it's going to be an offensive tackle. Honestly, folks, at, at this point, and this might not change for me, and you're going to be mad at me for being wishy-washy, I'm good with one of the tackles. I'm good with Simmons. I'm good with Okuda. I'm good with any of them. I think all three are going to be all pro caliber players for a long time, and it's just a matter of what happens in free agency and maybe what you can get later on that'll determine which guy eventually would be the right guy. But I think any one of those choices would be great because they're, frankly, just great football players. And I think if you draft a great football player, mm -hmm. it's especially at those positions, which are really hard to find in the modern-day NFL, I think it would be, frankly, a, a good pick. So, mm -hmm. all right, that's our show today. It was all brought to you by Coors Light, Mountain Cold Refresher, Make the Chill. For Paul Dettino, I am John Schmelk. Be back with you tomorrow at noon on Big Blue Kickoff Live. We'll see you then.